This is Sid Haig for Nightmare Junkhead. Listen, or I'll come over there and put my boot all up in your ass. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that has a newfound appreciation for natural childbirth my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're raking up that old shag carpet and breaking out our finest lava lamps as we delve into the mouth of march madness and travel back 40 years to talk the horror classics from our 1979 bracket but before we get that, let me remind you, we're part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our past episodes at BoomHowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your 70s hole. And don't forget, uh, this is the most important time of the year yes. to make sure you are following us on social media. Uh, if you are on Twitter, you can follow us at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead, and of course, the reason I say that is because... Because without the social media, you won't have access to the bracket. How are you going to play the home game? You cannot play along at home in the madness here without the bracket. So make sure you are following along with that. And we are officially in, full on in the mouth. The madness begins. There is no backing nope. out quite nope. literally for us at this point. And this, uh, and it's a little bit strange. You're probably like, wait a minute, it's a Monday. Why again am I getting the uh, getting you guys on a Monday? I can't get enough of you guys, you know, on a Friday and I have to hear you on a Monday. Because why the fuck not? No. Well, well, we, I was going to say because of the month of March, but you know. But I mean, hey, no. March, like you said, is so jam-packed that if we wanted to keep it in March, not like when we were doing April Madness a couple of years back. It went all the we, way to May, sadly. Yeah, May Madness. We have to, like, we have to come out two times a week, so... And it's it's again more double the bang, nightmare, more double bang. the junkhead. Oh, that's good. I like that. We should put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but indeed, uh, this is just the um, all. Uh, we're finding that almost every month at this point is the most wonderful wonderful t- time of the year. It it's, truly is. I mean, like. From October to, like, now. So, I mean, yeah. we, we always find reasons to make it the most wonderful time of the year. And yep. I think that's the beauty of horror films. And I think that's the beauty of why we do this whole thing of Into the Mouth of March Madness is to celebrate mm. all of those mm. films that have just, you know, that have just survived the ages. And, in fact, the fact that we are going all the way back now 40 years. Yeah to 1979 and like you were saying that survived i mean we're still talking about them and even the ones that are going to have to fall to the wayside they still warranted a place on here and of course refer back to our selection episode where we gave many an honorable mention which of course each and every single one of them was worthy of being in the bracket absolutely but we only have so much time (laughs) (laughs) unless we want to go year-long madness no that would truly drive us mad here Uh, but to remind you here what we do in the first round of into the mouth of march madness is in order for the film to advance into the round of the scream 16 there's two criteria we look at Mm -hmm. and we try to be (laughs) as objective as possible Uh, yeah it's to kind of give it an academic bent so we're Mm -hmm. actually looking at two things here we're thinking kind of pathos and logos passion and logic and the first passion this thing that we look at we ask ourselves 
which of these two films are closer to your heart? Closer to the heart. Uh, so again, which one gives you a more nostalgic feel? Right. And then in order, and that's again, that's more of the pathos. <clears throat> and on the logical side, is every, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, there we go. Uh, as every uh, ra- uh, matchup in the first round is built around a bracket topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we have some killer kids out there in the first round. We yeah. have some uh, de- dealings with the dead, but we'll yes. go more into that. <laughs> and so then we ask ourselves from a logical perspective, again, a more objective perspective, which of the films fit the bracket topic better? Correct. It's not just like, I mean, it's going to be a gush fest, but it's yes. a gush. We're showing our work. That is the main theme throughout from the yep. beginning of Into yep. the Mouth of March Madness is showing our work, BSing, doing what we do, and like you said, but gushing these movies with a lot of love. And man, the 70s, at least the past two years, have always presented a very interesting oh man the 70s lineup of films they're wild they are wild there's some surprises classics just like holy shit i've never seen this before looking at through different eyes and they're all what the fuck i mean even the straightest ones are still like whoa this is the groundwork for for a lot of everything else that comes after it and you look back in terms of the films that we've covered from 77 78 now to 79 You've seen some of just the cornerstone films in horror, mm-hmm. like you said, that have laid the groundwork for a lot of the stuff that continues to this day. And 79 is no different. Now, I'm going to make the argument. I think 79 might be our strongest year um, regarding not only what we included, but of course, what we left out there. Yeah. But I mean, we've got some true masters mm-hmm. of horror in 1979. We've got some all-time classics some true classics some true classics and a couple of surprises and some first timers as well for us here so i'm really anxious to get into that and so we are going to go ahead and we are going to begin from the top of the bracket and work our way down and our first matchup not only is it a killer noun you know subgenre of films but also is our first matchup of horror masters exactly two heavyweights we're, we're the first the first fight is a heavyweight champion out of the belt. gate right. out of the gate right in 1979 we're going to give you two films that are and i don't want to say they're tonally different and even in, in terms well, of they are there there couldn't be more different than each other but there's one underlining factor and there's there's a tying factor to that and you can make an argument on either one that they're not necessarily killer kid films but for our purposes, they're killer kid films. We are putting them under that microscope. And so the first one we are going to look at here is from the Canadian master, one David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. who, if you have know the podcast, <laughs> I love me some Cronenberg, <laughs> creepy old Cronenberg, just like all squiddly diddly and shit. Well, we and we've broke we've broken Cronenberg down to three main types of Cronenberg. Right. You have your kind of the start, which is your creepy Cronenberg. <laughs> the which, don't dream in that Cronenberg. My think personal your, favorite Cronenberg. <laughs> he then transitions into classic Cronenberg mm-hmm. and th- think Scanners, Videodrome, The Fly. Right. And then you get contemporary Cronenberg. And that's when he becomes a little bit more highfalutin <laughs> in your history of violence. Yeah. Uh, but you also still have elements of Cronenberg. And then occasionally... They Cronenberg each other (laughs) into some sort of weird in-between Cronenberg, like mid-transformation. And this particular film also is one that I think is a perfect encapsulation from going from creepy 
Cronenberg into classic Cronenberg mm-hmm. because it does hit all of those kind of, as you said, squidly diddly nasty kind of things. Right. But there's a, it's a heady film. Yeah, it's a, it's very heavy and it's an intellectual film. Now let me ask you this: What was your background with The Brood? This was a first time watch for me. And again, the beauty of Into the Mouth of March Madness is the fact that there are so many of these films. And this is another one you could have probably said. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it gives us that excuse to finally get, uh, you know, what feels like to be unleashed on this film. So what right. was your experience like with it? That movie is wild. That movie, it's like I said, there's the set pieces are just extremely creepy. But then in right in between that, you have this really cool mystery and a very cool. And it's a drama. It's a family drama, which makes it like. And when you never you put family drama and Cronenberg in the same sentence, you know shit's gonna get weird, and it does. Those little goblins, and that's where you could argue this may not necessarily be a killer kid film because those things, those mm-hmm. manifestations, psychoplasmatic tops, they're not necessarily killer kids. Right. No. Well, it's so funny. I think that like the normal society. The, in 1979, mm-hmm. they got Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> the the normies got Kramer versus Kramer. But in 1979, we, the we horror got fans, the brood. We got uh, Kramer versus goblins. <laughs> it's, well, apparently Cronenberg was going through a divorce and a custody battle during mm-hmm. this time, and you can completely see oh, yeah. all of oh, those yeah. fears and projections. So much in the film that the film itself becomes all about manifestations and projections. Yeah, this is all about mental illness. It's all about um, abuse, abuse of children and, and family and, and all different stuff. There's a lot of different heavy, heavy things that are being tackled in this. But it's done with such like tenseness when it comes to the horror. And then and then you have the actors just going ape shit. Um, Samantha Egger. She is intense. She is next level in this movie. She would like look into my soul. I was like, holy shit. She's yelling at me like, no mothers wouldn't do that. And I'm like, holy shit. Well then, yeah, the, the, the uh, interplay between, between her and Oliver Reed as the therapist. He's the, fucking a creep. The creator of Psychoplasmics, which is this whole weird, which is only... A therapy that Cronenberg, Cronenberg would yeah. think of either Dr. Cronenberg or Dr. Preterius, one of the two. Like <laughs> it's it's just so disturbing, but it's so in line. Either way, you're gonna get ill shit. You're you know something's coming out of you, and yeah, it's gonna be betray and it's you. Gonna be, and it's gonna be gross. Oh, it's so intense. Really gross. And just even from the beginning of the film, how we're introdu- introduced to the session to the finale. Right which, off the bat. Right off the bat, there's this like heavy shit profanity laden. I mean, they talk like I fucking talk. I mean, like <laughs> if it gives you pause, right? Sometimes that's a good thing, but other times it's like, damn, that, wow. That just made genius blush. Mm-hmm. No, but ultimately, there's the kind of the journey you take with this film from the beginning, like you said, from that first uh, session to the ultimate reveal. And we're, we will be completely spoilerly, of course, in right. the tournament here. But what was your reaction to that ending? Okay, so when she had the final baby at the pod. The reveal. The reveal. I was like, ew, that's gross. But okay, I'll, I, cool. I was expecting a little bit more. But then, but then I got that more. Cronenberg said, "Hold my poutine." Yeah, hold, hold, hold this. So, she, and when she bites it out of the umbilical sac and then licks it like an animal, just all this like fluid. It's 
disturbing because you know it's not a regular kid it's this fucking humonculus that like and you don't want to fucking deal with that's probably the best way to describe those little things yeah it goes to the point we actually get kind of an anatomy homunculus autopsy which is so weird yeah and of course cronenberg is going to show stuff like hey check it out look at this you know it's Cronenberg. It, 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 like I said, but it's a nice kind of overlay from mm-hmm. creepy to classic just based on the themes that he's looking at and how he presents them. Because it's not creepy. I mean, it's not gross throughout. No. It's just the It's not rabbit. It's not shivers, no. but it's not the fly either. No, so, he's, he's working on getting there. Mm-hmm. Even the kill scenes themselves, pretty gory, but nothing too terribly brutal. Nothing over the top. But still scary. Yeah. And what's the scariest part about it, what I felt bad for when those goblins kill or the homunculus killed the teacher in front of all the kids kids. and just the kids, you're just they're looking like, oh, oh. And I think the reason why I call them goblins is because the little kid comes out like some these goblins are hurting. He calls them goblins. and like he called the goblins. Good call. And they're hurting her. They're hurting her. And all these kids are sitting there crying, freaking out, watching their teacher get taken down. Holy shit. Completely bludgeoned. Holy shit. And the fact that they escort the little girl out beforehand. And then you see him like skipping down the road and shit. No. I never knew that those little snow coats could be so terrifying. They need to have like a killer kids ensemble. They need to have like that. And the raincoat from Alice, sweet Alice. Ooh, that would sell. Yeah, there's an idea. There is a market out there for that. Yeah. I don't know if we can copyright that or not. But let me ask you this: Gosh, gosh, my gosh. <laughs> if you were to participate in psychoplasmics, because I thought about this, what would your manifestations be? Because I always jokingly say that if you look at my baby pictures from back in the day when I was first born, like I was, I was so I was horribly ugly. And I realized I bear a resemblance to Quato oh, from no. Total Recall. You are that bad, but oh, like, no, no, it's it's pretty close. We're gonna start the reactor. So, would you like let him go out and like run around? Like, would they be like basket case for you? Potentially, potentially, I'd like to think that they would be more get into shenanigans and mm-hmm. actually bludgeon people to death yeah but if they did that's what it would look like and that would be terrifying you know snow coat or not right in the buff regardless but i think mine would be like the gate Ooh, even worse little gary Busey's. yeah little gary Busey's. but they got like my face on them and all hairy and shit like let's party or just like fucking just going around you know they would caution it would turn into gremlins and I think ultimately, if our manifestations came into each other, they would like the shenanigans, but mine wouldn't. Yours would try to egg mine on into further, <laughs> maybe escalated shena- shenanigans. I think, <laughs> yeah, to full blown murder. Yeah, because they're the, they're the little goblins. It's in their nature, unfortunately. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, it's a very freaky, weird, just classically Cronenberg yeah. film that does again. You can argue that it is a truly killer kid film, and it's gory, but it's not over the top. It's no. not until the like birthing you know and there's actually kind of a build-up to that scene Mm because that scene is pretty it's it's notorious but it's a tense scene up in there because you have the doctor in the barn in the same scene super tense and she's already yelling and like you're like okay just lie to her and she won't freak out because you know she gonna freak out because that's what she's in fucking therapy for you know so like uh 
Yeah. Well, no. hopefully, you know, Cronenberg got a lot of his rage out with this particular film mm-hmm. because it is fairly cathartic in many a different ways. Uh, but then to pair it then from Cronenberg to yet another master. Yes. And a master who's this is not his first appearance. Mm-mm, this ain't his first rodeo. Not here on a, Into the Mouth of March Madness. And it's not going to be his last. Not as, as far as we go. But uh, Tobey Huppert. Uh-huh. And this is a film that I really think for the most part is one that is unrecognized in his canon. I, yeah, I think people forget that. That's just it. He, his um, legacy is going to be anything else is shadowed by Texas Chainsaw. I mean, even Life Force. Because like, if you say Toby, you're like, Life Force. Like, that's my gut reaction. Yeah. But even then, I still forget Salem's Lot. Which is a very... And I think it comes down to the fact that it was initially made for TV. Yeah. But he delivered... He's a master for a reason because he's he consistently scare me. Remember eating alive? That yep. scared the bejesus out of me. And this is pure nightmare fuel to this day. Well, we were fortunate enough to watch the international cut mm-hmm. uh, as it was a shorter version than the actual TV cut. And I ultimately realized that we do lose a lot of story with that. Yeah. So there's loose ends, this or that. But ultimately, I think you still have a connective enough story because I remember reading the book back in the day. Did you? Oh, yeah. No, there were a lot of the Stephen King stories that, especially the ones that weren't in too entirely epic, that you could, you could read maybe over a weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the bite-sized King, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but it was perfect for that. And there's definitely some differences in that, but it's nothing for that for me takes me out of it yeah. as a Stephen King fan because uh, this is Stephen King filtered through Hooper. Right. Which, how many people has have adapted King's work that are like true masters? Right. I think you can't be a master until you do something with it's Stephen it's... King. You know what I'm saying? It's Stephen King is a master of literary horror, and so why not would film? Like I said, you're not a master until you've worked with King. And then even King doing King, as we find <laughs> out in 85. Scaring the hell out of us. Can be problematic, but no. Salem's Lot is your classic. This is Stephen King doing vampires. And you know what? For a TV movie, this movie is scary as shit. And I have vivid memories of watching this movie when it came out. And this movie is primarily remembered by many a horror fan. Mm-hmm. They may not even, nece- this is again, they may not necessarily remember that Toby Hooper did this film, but they remember Salem's Lot for one particular scene. And I'd hate to say that an entire film can be built and based around a scene, but man, this is a powerful scene. This scene, I mean, to this day, can still just... <laughs> Every time I hear a scratch at the window, even if I know it's a fucking tree branch or anything else, I know in my heart of hearts it's that fucking vampire kid. And that's that's to me not the problem with the recent rewatch, but it was ultimately in the back of my mind everything was building up to that moment. Mm-hmm. And I could enjoy the scene, I could enjoy the narrative, but that's back of my mind it's like here it comes, here it comes. This is that this is the and like you to me, it's one of the go back to our scariest movie scenes episode. It is one of those truly terrifying yeah. moments. And not even that, the vampires look cool. Yeah, they do. Barlow's a cool looking vampire. And that's probably one of the bigger differences in between the book and the movie is the Barlow in the novel is more He's suave. Fancy. He's, he was ew, ew, I'm a vampire. But ours and no, and he, no. he 
This is more like what Peter, <laughs> Peter from what we do in the shadows. <laughs> you know, there's going to be an entire generation that will go to Peter first before Nosferatu. Yeah, which is kind of rad, actually. <laughs> they <laughs> they made a great character. No, this movie is still terrifying. It's still very very cool, and it still holds up nicely. I mean, even up to the set pieces of the vampires, it's still a taut tense movie and uh, not that this took me out of the thing as well but being a pro wrestling fan when barlow kills the kid's parents by doing the double noggin knocker yeah yeah but then you have creepy old people well of course his his renfield Mm -hmm. who also plays a great part in that one works just as well and actually kind of portrays the count as he is in the book in many ways but he also has that supernatural strength as well Mm -hmm. he passes it around there is he um jerry's billy Jerry Dandridge's Billy. There are definitely some parallels there. Well, they're they're not as cool of a couple though. Not quite the power couple. Right. Unfortunately, right, right. yeah, Billy or Jerry, you can definitely take out. You know, in the night, um, Barlow. <laughs> Barlow. So much. No, let's go clubbing. Blah, just fucking around Salem's lot. <laughs> <laughs> only on Halloween night and then maybe then it's like there's that guy with that lame ass costume again <laughs> switch it up dude seriously a hundred years it's a way of life <laughs> after life well unfortunately as much fun as these two films are only one film can go forward so let's go ahead and show our work here genius mm-hmm. between the brood and Salem's lot which of the two are closer to your heart? I have to be honest and go Salem's Lot because I remember that scene. That scene, it still haunts me. Even upon rewatching the scene, it's still scary. I know it's coming. So that's for my heart. That makes sense. Yeah. And again, this comes down to the fact if you've seen these before, if they're new watches. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I've enjoyed both of them. Um but I also have to say, uh, regarding the the nostalgia, the one that is closer to the heart, the brood is one that I've grown to appreciate over time. Mm-hmm. But Salem's Lot still has that particular feel mm-hmm. that is truly closer. And I am also going to go with Salem's Lot on that. Yeah. Plus, it's rad looking in the cover art. It's pretty, that's pretty dope. Again, and now if we go back to last year's when we talked about poster porn. Yeah, uh, the two definitely would go well against each other. But our bracket topic here: killer kids. So, which of the two then genius do you think better represents killer kids? The vampire, the vampire kid. I mean, while while those killer kid on the the homunculi are scary, I feel like I could take them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if shit comes down to it, they come at me with the hammer and they're like. Meow, right punch one right in the fucking face those vampires though i would be frozen in terror just like if i saw one of those kids come at me i would be frozen in terror i would just be like no and just yeah so for killer kid i gotta go killer vampire that works that make again good well nice work showing your work there i'm actually going to go with the brood on that one and just simply because the fact that again both of the killer kids basically are soulless kind of beings yeah but ultimately for some reason some kids in general just in general but i think the just the I, i'm going to go with appearance making a pretty big uh 
pretty big effort on my killer kid again just they got to look terrifying and then just the sheer number the, of them as well yeah that's just true that there was a lot kind of, of thing them. oh man a horde of them oh Oof. yeah truly terrifying but holy smokes here it looks like uh salem's lot has taken Uh-oh. a bite out of the brood Blah! and by a uh, three to one uh, feeding there is moving forward to the scream 16 nice that to me is actually a pretty big upset i actually probably in my pre-little tournament thing had the brood going into the frightful four. Oh yeah so that's a huge pretty big upset there so going from an upset here to what i think is possibly probably the toughest first round matchup in general i think so the two we have a bracket topic that went from dealing with the dead um <laughs> but in true nightmare junkhead fashion it's diddling the dead i almost would have said cronenberg its way yeah. into <laughs> diddling the dead and these this gives us Again, two masters of horror and also two all-time classics of horror as well. Uh, we have Don Coscarelli's Phantasm uh-huh. and Lucio Fulci's Zombie 2. Ooh, very different dealings with the dead. Absolutely different. Yeah, no, I agree. This is, But ultimately, they're two movies that are about dealing with the dead. But we also have two totally different films again. Yes. Where one is a kind of a personal statement, and then the other one is just... What the fuck? And they're actually kind of both what the fuck. I mean, yeah. So which one shall we start with there? Let's do Phantasm. We've devoted already an episode to Phantasm. Mm-hmm. I think we've actually devoted several yeah. episodes to, to the score, to the thing. It was trivia questions. So much so that, I mean, there's nothing that we can necessarily bring new to the discussion. We played a good game, boy. But it's a classic for a reason. I mean, just the sheer weirdness of it. I mean, and you have an iconic figure in the tall man and the fact that you have a franchise built on the adventures of a balding middle-aged ice cream man. You know what I'm saying? That's something you don't see every day. And it's Don Coscarelli being Don Coscarelli. It's kind of establishing that, well, it's a Coscarelli film. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, though. And it is an unlikely film to spawn a franchise, but it did. Yeah. And something that if you would have seen it back in 79, you'd never think Mm-mm. that just two years ago, you know, in 2017... You'd be looking at another, you know, entry in the franchise. It's crazy. Right. It is crazy. Uh, but also it's got a great score. There are many things that make it memorable. Mm-hmm. And that's a reason why we're still talking about it to this point. Um, that being said, I'd like to say that this particular round of Into the Mouth of March Madness is unofficially brought to you by Shudder. <laughs> yeah, definitely Shudder shout out. Oh, my goodness. There are so many of these films streaming on there. So thank you so much on that Shudder. Uh, but no, this is truly a coming-of-age nightmare logic film that mm-hmm. established so much. It is so much fun. Now, that being said, on the other side here, yeah. we get some international flavor, which yeah. is always wonderful. A, a little bit of spaghetti. <laughs> Zomgetti. And I think this is actually our first encounter with Lucio Fulci. Yes, it is, in, in the whole bracket. Yeah, 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 and yeah Into yeah. the Mouth of March Madness. But mm-hmm. we have what is so funny, because technically, when released, was supposed to be a sequel yeah. to last year's uh, Dawn of the Dead, but no, it is its own film, Zombie 2, mm-hmm. which we're going to eat you. Has, that is one of the all-time great taglines. <laughs> well, they both do, actually. Oh, yeah. If this one doesn't scare you. You're already dead. Like I said, this is a <clears throat> tough first-round matchup. Yeah, it is. Now, ultimately, Zombie 2 is pretty notorious for, I think, probably two, two scenes. 
two set pieces. Say, yeah, let's... The one that probably most people, even normies, might be familiar with is the zombie versus the shark. It's become it's a it's a meme, right? Yeah, it's like you said. It's it, people see zombies versus shark, and they're like, "Oh, okay." They don't know the movie, uh-uh. but, but they, they know, know the that. Yeah, and it's a feat of stunt masterpiece. I'm surprised Stunt Rock didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Because he's really underwater for a long fucking time. That's the Italian Grant Page. <laughs> Come on, now we're going to go down and then like, we're going to play with the shark, you know? But like, so, and it's a real fucking shark. Yeah. And so like you already have those two elements of danger and he's fucking wrestling it and taking a bite out of it. That is intense and insane. As funny as it is be- to see out of context, even putting it in context is still pretty funny, but looking at it, just logistics, it's terrifying. Yeah, that scene alone is worth the price of admission. But you get another one that's pretty notorious. Yes. If they ever show like, you know, oh, horrors are rotting your brain or anything like that, they're probably going to show a clip of this scene. So basically the zombie is coming at the woman and grabs her by the hair. Now she's trying to escape, but he's pulling her towards her. And since he's a zombie, he don't give a fuck. So he's pulling her towards her to a big, giant wooden spike, oh, a part of the door, splinter. just splintery thing coming out. And it's close and it's I'm sitting there and my eyes starting to twinge because I know it's coming. And, and it's shot so slowly, mm-hmm. just agonizingly slow. Mm-hmm. Oh. You could tell there's some like Italian influence in that movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's not zombie jello, but I mean like, no. So, and then it just goes in and it looks so good. To this day, the effects are pretty well held mm-hmm. up. No, if I remember right, they actually did get a cadaver eyeball for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's gnarly. It's notorious, but also it's kind of not necessarily a. It's not a fun film by any means. Actually, no, no, it's no. very dour. But there's another scene in particular that ultimately haunted me, and it was just the the and it was on the front of that VHS cover. If you remember that <laughs> zombie, that out of the graveyard. Yes. And Out of all the places to land on the island, why the graveyard? Oh, I know, I know. And even just how when they're being entrenched and treated upon, it just looks like it hurts. Yeah. That's the other thing. Everything in that movie, every bite, every just head trauma looks gnarly. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the other thing that I love about, talked about the score of Phantasm, but Fabio Fritzi's score in this, the main theme is still one of my all-time favorite marches. Yeah. One that I think is kind of funky, but also it kind of inspires dread within me as well. Which I think is, again, a good Italian oh, yeah. horror film will it, do. It's got a great theme. And the fact that it plays all when like key scenes and horrible shit's about to go down. It does become a true death march. Yeah, it's, again, why, why it just has established itself. And it's one of the many things that Fulci has done. And his work in the genre is insanely yes. diverse. Yes. Uh, going from like the newly discovered, um, oh, uh, The Devil's Honey. Um, all the way to like, you know, uh, the city beyond the cemetery, um, all of those just weird, weird Italian films. But he does the undead well. You know, oh, yeah, of course. Well, so, well, so then speaking of the dead, um, as good as both of these films are, only one can make it into the next round. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, genius, the question is, between Phantasm and Zombie 2, which of the two are closer to your heart? This is a tough one. This is a very, very tough one. Um, Phantasm is a classic for a reason. It brings all these wonderful things in it. But I saw part two first. So you've reverse engineered from two to one. Right. But 
I just remember zombie being one of the craziest things I've ever seen and like really bringing my love of the zombie genre, you know? It had all the old tropes, so closer to the heart. I've been struggling with this one. I gotta go zombie. I can understand that the struggle is real. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we that's why this thing can drive you mad. Yeah. This is a tough one for me too. I think ultimately, uh, I know I saw Phantasm first between the two. Um, Zombie 2 was one of those that took me a while to see because based on the the power of the VHS cover alone, it like many of those, yeah. it intimidated me. Mm-hmm. So it's one I came to later. So ultimately for me, and especially when you see Phantasm at a young, impressionable age, because of, and also, you know, Fulci does have a lot of nightmare logic in his films as well. Right. But Phantasm was one of those first instances. It's insane. Of, it's almost American Jallo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an American version of a Fulci film, yeah. if you will. So for me, I'm, I've got to go with Phantasm just based on that alone. Now, our bracket topic, which I do, and again, I do apologize, but Diddling the Dead. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to take that quite on a literal level. Right, right, because right. Because I'm afraid we'd end up on a special list of podcasts. We, we can, in this case, diddling is like just diddling with. Yes. Just like messing with, fiddling, fiddling with the diddling. So of the two then, between fan, because both do indeed, but in different diddle ways. With the dead, right. Which of the two is going to fit the bracket topic better for you, genius? Phantasm. Zombies come alive and nobody is actually like really diddling them and nobody's really messing with them. If they get overtaken, you're going to get eaten. Phantasm, he's taking the bodies and shrinking them down to be slaves on his other dimensional planet. If you're taking dead bodies and reanimating them and but shrinking them down first, you're more than diddling with them. You know what I'm saying? So for that alone, I got to go with Phantasm. And I'm going to agree with you, and I'm just going to say Diddlin would be a capital D in this case, just right. because there is true Diddlin. Like you said, that is horrid. Yeah. We've seen a million zombie movies with that same scenario. But not one where they're taking the dead and squishing them down to do his evil bidding. And then you're you're, you're accused of being a cheap Jawa knockoff, and that right. hurts your esteem. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I think if you're being diddled with, you know, the, the tall man. <laughs> yeah, boy. We the diddling is this way, we had, sir. We didn't even talk about Angus Scrim. Again, we've <laughs> devoted many an episode. Right, right. It's not we don't love it, yeah. but we've talked about it before. But if you want to hear it, check it out. Because, like, yeah, bore. Well, I will say, Zombie 2 plays a good game. <laughs> but when it comes to diddling, you the, can't beat the tall man. That's right. The game is over. And by three <laughs> votes of one, Phantasm is uh, moving forward to the round of the Scream 16. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's I tough. know. Because they're both great movies. They're great movies. If I, I mean, yeah. Any other day, any other day, it could have gone different. But again, I fucking love zombie. No, I do too. I do too. But that's the again why this thing can mm-hmm. truly bring you to madness. Mm-hmm. Now our next bracket topic: um, these two films. One was a first timer. One was a revisit. And ultimately, you know, being a homeowner, there is something quite awful if your home turns against you. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to our bracket topic of hostile houses. Yes. And both of these films truly have some hostile elements, but definitely from a different perspective. Right. They're, both houses are going to attack you, but one, there are two different reasons. So ultimately, we have the Amityville Horror going up against Tourist Trap. Mm-hmm. Genius, which one do we dare enter into first? Tourist Trap. Fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. I believe if you can refer back to our Halloween Palooza live episode... <laughs> 
we did, um, <laughs> I believe it was Explain a Plot Badly, 70s version. Yep. And most of the explanation and plot description was fuck, just... The, fuck that movie with its weird-ass mannequins and fucking psychokinetic Chuck Connors. <laughs> I, <laughs> I believe at one point you coined the term Yuck Connors. Yeah. When he starts really turning on the charm. Yeah, he's Yuck Connors, man, because that movie is gross, and it's still weird and scary and creepy. I I remember, okay, we watched it down here in your basement, and I remember saying, I'm so glad you got rid of that mannequin. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you know at one point I had in my domicile the creepiest of creepy mannequins. Mouth all agape and like that. Ah. Looked like it had loved a little Joker. You know, love that Joker. Right. I mean, it had that kind of rictus <laughs> grin. Yeah. But I was always afraid of just one night waking up and just having it hovering above me. Mm-hmm. Like that was for me a legit fear. Me too. And thankfully, of course, um, it's gone now, which is good. Mm-hmm. But I am so glad that that does not exist when seeing that film. But I will say this, and I've mentioned it before, Regina, our friend Regina, uh, her own... Uh, her, Red Vixen Photography. Yes. If you go check out, please check out her uh, her website. Uh, it's her fucking business card. Uh, she apologized to me, but that mannequin haunts me to this day because that is exactly as you say, it's horrifying. Yes. I can't escape it regardless. And then going into this film, this was a first time watch for me. Yeah? Yes. What did you think? I was terrified by it i was charmed by it Mm -hmm. i had a really good time this was one of my bigger surprises of the bracket i think this movie cemented my fear of mannequins like back in the day and during the mall days for kids if you don't know what a mall is it was amazon but a real physical location amazon the store (laughs) um but like Whenever it was like, the mall will be closing in five minutes, I was convinced we needed to get out before the mannequins came alive and turned me into a mannequin or diddled with me with Chuck Connors. You know what I'm saying? So this movie, this movie is like a chud movie for me. Okay. It's one of those that is truly imprinted on Mm -hmm. your psyche to Mm -hmm. the point that it dictates your everyday normal behavior. I still don't trust mannequins. I know they're not going to come alive, but they still fucking give me the heebie-jeebies of jeebies. Well, like you said, it's really interesting because the film, every, when I was watching it the first time, all I was imagining it was it's, it is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But telekinesis instead of a of, instead of a chainsaw and somebody insane like certifiably insane not to I mean of course you're if you're using your telekinesis to kill people you're in, you're crazy but to fuck with them the way he does to make his mannequins come alive to make the home attack you yeah that's in, and, and the fact that he's like did really two different people and that mask he has well the mask was ill-fitting as well yes which it made was, him look like a mannequin it like was the, unsettling the, the, if, if buffalo bill was a muppet that's what she would have did you fuck me i fuck me Yay! <laughs> you know i'm not saying he looked like kermit the frog but he like that's the go-to Muppet voice. I right, understand. Right, I right, understand. Right, right. Well, there's even that point where he, uh, much a la like Leatherface, and licks everybody. He changes his outfit at one point to be a little bit more fanciful when throwing on the party. Yeah, 
like, but he's he he also is in touch with his feminine side too. Yes, yes he is. Well, uh, speaking of feminine, one thing that throughout the entirety of the end time, I kept going, "Hey, hey genius, just go watch the Beastmaster," because every time Tanya Roberts came on, she's she's a treat. Tanya Roberts is rad, dude. I was just like, go watch freaking Beastmaster, get your fill, then come back. She's beautiful. No, this is there is a lot to really enjoy about the film. Also, kind of the Scooby Doo feel. That you get right a lot of like zoinks like the reveal Chuck Connors and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you crazy kid and your and your mannequins meddling mannequins actually there we can bravo bravo well also just the fact that technically this film also ends in kind of a bummer way yeah it does. Yeah, and it does. A couple things. The score I really did enjoy. There are certain points of it that I really dug, but then there are also certain ones that became a just a little too mad cappery. It did. There was goofy moments, but but I think you almost needed that levity. Yeah, in a film like well, and that's just it. Like the opening scene, I think is actually kind of terrifying. It's the way it's shot, the way it's put together. Um, in fact, all the set pieces I actually really dug. Mm-hmm. But to the point where I saw so many parallels with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It didn't take me out of the film by any means. Right. But you just but also you can see it. Like Simpsons influ- did it. Yeah. Just how influential it truly is. Right, right, right. Uh, but it was definitely, like I said, it was uh, it's truly my uh, big surprise. And it also had a thing that I called exposition execution mm-hmm. as he was basically telling you how you're going to die. Oh, that was intense. That would suck. It's horrifying. Right, because he doesn't kill you. I mean, he'll he'll slash you if, if you get in his way or if he wants. But the thing about it is he's like Freddy because he'll fuck yeah. with you and crack wise. And then he'll tell it's, you how he's going to kill you as he's doing it. And first, you're, then you're not going to breathe. And then you're just like, oh, God, that's awful. That's awful. No, there's a lot to be terrified with this film. Like I said, it, it's an interesting kind of balance, mm-hmm. but it's one I'm really glad I had a chance to finally see, so now I can truly say I've seen yeah, I've that. I've seen that. <laughs> Which leads us actually to the other film then, and this is another one where the house is definitely ha- the house is definitely hostile, and this is another one that actually spawned a franchise. Mm-hmm. That is, For good, bad, or indifferent. Oh, there's a whole conversation there. Uh, but no, the Amityville Horror. Yes. Fuck that house. <laughs> That house, every time I see that house, that little weird face on it, it always freaks me out. And even to this day, even to this day, whenever I'm driving by and I see like a house with like a face on it, I'm like, fucking, that's the Amityville house. And that's another thing you want to talk about transcending the horror genre. Mm hmm. Normies know the Amityville house. Yeah. They may not know it is the Amityville house. But they know it. You show them that, they know that's a scary thing. Exactly. And I will say this. It's always nice just because I've seen the remake as well, and I do prefer the original. Mm -hmm. Because the original especially- Thanos' dad. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Margot Kidder coming back, who is- Being great. Being great and wonderful in this movie. Margot Kidder is fantastic. It was like- um, if if Barb graduated college and settled down, you know her partying past behind her. <laughs> yeah, but she she's knows, not getting you know. kids snockered anymore. She's raising kids right. You know. <laughs> oh no, there's again, and it's such an odd pairing uh, because apparently behind the scenes they didn't necessarily get along via yeah. their acting styles. But I, you can't really tell Mm-mm. just because. And like I said, it's a it's a kind of a joy to see her. But there's at one point where the the house is messing with her over the phone. Yeah. And again, it's kind of one of those instances where you're like, oh God, is there going to be like a <sighs> Billy? Like, does the does the demon <laughs> become... <laughs> 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 like, just like... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there, but this is also one of those films. I also want to call it kind of like a family horror film. Oh, yeah. No, you could show this to normies. In fact, probably this is the more like normie friendly out of almost all the movies. And when we're talking about one made for television, you yeah. know, it's like yeah. Salem's Lot might be a little bit more horrifying than Amityville, but this is low key horror, but it's yeah. very, it's suspenseful. I'm not saying it's a suspense, suspense horror, but I mean, it's for haunting, it builds and it sets some tropes up nice. It really does actually introducing and also um, the whole get out. Mm hmm. I think Richard Pryor built a little bit of a joke around that, which I cannot blame you because when you hear something like that, I'm not going to wait to get sick. I'm not going to wait to ingest flies uh, oh, and the flies. Yeah. The flies. Well, also this is built around. This is one of those movies that had based on a true story. Yep. That's yep. what made it even scarier because you're like that fucking shit happened for <laughs> real. My cousin told my cousin knows a person right? that knew the editor of the publisher, and they said you know they had to leave the savage stuff out. Like <laughs> you're like yo, I heard, it's so weird. It can happen to you tonight yeah. in the pre-internet era as well mm -hmm. where you had to maybe do a little bit of research on it there were some uh, there's some good finds within that and actually now is it sinister or insidious that's based off of the insidious couple, okay that that show up and that end up wrecking the uh, the basement there which yeah. is uh, pretty great but uh, no james brolin in this actually he's really good he is he's really good he's he's intense you can kind of in that you kind a of, violent lumberjack because he had that quaff. Even if he's not looking all that rough, he still looks good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in the genes, I yep. think. Uh, no, but it also kind of the, the parallel to the madness a la um, Jack Torrance and The Shining, I think you get a bit of that as well. Oh, yeah. And the fact that that house has that history, which you get into in the sequel, yeah. which is a super sleazy movie, by the way. And they, oh. they kind of just get worse after that. They do. And then there's like ones that have nothing to do with nothing. It's just built around the name to, I think, keep the rights within the company, I mm -hmm. think. Which is a shame because this is a film, like you said, it's not the scariest film. It's not the best film. But it's a good film. It's it, a damn good film. It was I a good thoroughly revisit. enjoyed. Well, yes, it was a great revisit. And again, and when the nuns freaking out, I gotta go by. Like I love when nuns are scared. It's well, funny. Another thing, and I, here's what's really funny. And you talk about urban folklore, but I can't remember if I experienced this or if this is someone that told me about it. But I remember distinctly someone. And again, it was me or not. This is my Sutter Kane moment here. Right. Uh, looking through the book, and at some point, someone started putting drawing flies. On each of the individual no, pages? No, they've done that. Okay, so that is... It's printed like that, I okay, believe. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Wanted to make sure. So yeah, that is no, something it's in, printed like that. So that's that's next level. That's that's good stuff. Uh, but as good as both of these... Oh, and also the fact that both films were ultimately end with the family driving away. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that a little bit of a parallel there. Uh, but of, as good as both of these films are, only one can make it forward to the next round. So we've got two things to look at here, genius. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to start by Amityville... Or Tourist Trap, which one is closer to your heart? While the house is ingrained in my head, and every time I see an evil-looking house, I'm like, there's the house, there's the house. It doesn't inspire fear like I remember when I saw Tourist Trap to the point where I hated mannequins. Mannequins freaked me the fuck out. So... The fact that once again we're bracing closer to the heart on like um, I'm basing it on what scares what scared me most is as young genius. This is like a therapy session. Oh no, psychoplasmatics! But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with tourist trap because that scared the piss out of me. 
This is a tough one, too, because Amityville is one I know I've watched with my family before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like should be the essence of pure nostalgia. But ultimately, man, my first time watching Tourist Trap, again, another moment of being alone in my basement, first time viewing. But it was wonderful. Yeah. Because there was a joy to seeing it for the first time in my old eyes at this point and going, man, I know why I... You know, it was one of those, again, I there's a reason I waited a while to watch this film, <laughs> but it was cathartic. So as, as nostalgic as Amityville is, man, I think between the two at this point, I'm going to have a closer to the hard feel with Tourist Trap as well. Wow, nice, I nice. Know, it's kind of rare. It's kind of rare. Now, that being said, the bracket topic is hostile houses. Mm-hmm. Both of these films feature some fairly hostile houses. So, genius, which one of the two is a little bit more uh, a Pantera-esque hostile? Right. Uh, Amityville, because Yuck Connors, he was the one that made it happen. It wasn't. It would have happened if it was at a gas station or if it was a wax museum or anywhere. But a haunted house is a haunted house. There's a gateway to hell in the basement. You can't get more hostile of a house than that. I can't disagree with you on that. And by that logic, and that's actually, you need to get out of my head. I was actually going to go with the very same thing. As as, as, as as you mentioned, as terrifying as Tourist Trap is, it all it's all built around telekinesis. The Amityville, it's through the, it's in the foundation. Yeah. The ground is sour. sour. Uh-huh. And that ultimately leads then to right at this point is a tie Uh-oh. between Amityville and Tourist Trap. Now, I have a tiebreaker here. Okay. And Genius, what do you think between the two had the better score? Ooh, I'm going to go, you know, I can't really remember both of them, but I remember the tension being built better in Amityville Mm -hmm. score wise. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go Amityville for the better score. And I was actually going to go with Tourist Trap, but I do think the, the tension that you build with the Amityville horror does work pretty well. So I'm going to actually, I'm not going to say I'm influenced by your vote. But I'm going to go Amityville as well. And with that tiebreaker, uh, what shall we say? uh, Tourist Trap has been uh, foreclosed on regarding a hostile house. Mm -hmm. And Amityville is making its way into the Scream 16, which leads us to our last pair of films, our last bracket topic. And this is one that features, again, another Mm all-timer, one that you talk about in the Annals of Horror it is truly terrifying. Versus something probably nobody would expect. Nobody, I wouldn't like say, hey, have you seen The Visitor? No. You know what I'm saying? This is a true underdog, but this deserves to be on here. And we are talking about Terrors from Beyond. Yep. And we have two films that are terrifying and from beyond. Alien versus The Visitor. Mm-hmm. I, How? Was- How? How? I think it was just like... Like, we have aliens. What are we going to do? And I'm like, I really want a visitor on there. Hey, I know. Let's. Well, they're both dealing with space. So it works. I, it I works. Can't cannot disagree with it. And, you know, we occasionally have the wild card brackets. Yeehaw! But no, this is uh, Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, one of the most inspir- uh, influential horror yes, films. Absolutely. Launching careers, launching. Uh, franchises a pantheon it could be in the film registry we have three franchise launching films Mm -hmm. in this bracket Mm -hmm. but as you said one of the franchises however kind of creeped into the normie verse where everyone knows alien and aliens (laughs) done 
again special visitor yeah no I, it's i go back to the fact that every time i watch alien i've mentioned it before on nerds and nostalgia that it creeps up to being my favorite of the alien franchise aliens is still on top of that mm-hmm. but man there's something about the intimacy the just the craft of the scares yeah. there are some genuinely scary moments in alien and the fact that you have the iconic imagery oh you have the xenomorph you have the mythos that it sets up the powers that it has and like you said it's tense and it's dark and you don't know what's going on no and the fact that you know spoiler alert here but um you know fan tom scarrett's mm-hmm. you know he dies yeah and then that's when our you get, captain, our hero. So, and it, that's when you get the emergence of Ripley, which is one of the oh. best characters in cinema. Who was originally written as a man, but was, or I should say, was Strong a gender neutral. Strong enough for a man, but meant for a woman. That's what that's what Ripley was. <laughs> that you can't go wrong with that. Um, now, I will say, when it comes down to a number of other things, little, well, that was scary. There, we had a little. I think we got a xenomorph in the uh, the things there. This is crawling in the vents. Uh, we actually, and I would like to say, I'd kind of like to welcome back um, professional reactor Veronica Rick Cartwright to, oh, to the madness. Yep, where yep. from last year we had her uh, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers and here in Alien. Yeah. Too involved in two of the all time classic horror scenes with <laughs> yep. her reactions. Yep. Um, but no, again, we, we've talked about Alien before in our Secret Slasher uh, episode. We've done an entire franchise over at Nerds and Nostalgia. So again, we can't add anything necessarily new to Alien. But it's still wonderful and um, scary. And like the whole like, brah. I'm telling you, I think there's something inherently Pavlovian with the like hands out and get Friday you. 3 yeah. and Alien. Brah. No, I agree. And also we maintain our fondness for cats as well. Wow. So from one that I think pretty much everyone knows with Alien... To, as you said, a film that... A handful of lucky few. <laughs> very lucky few with this one. And this is a film that I came to a little bit late, um, but ultimately grew to love just because of its kind of just wackery, weirdness. And anytime you can get Franco Nero in a film, yeah. you know, it's going to be good. But we are talking about The Visitor. Oh, this movie is a crowd pleaser. This movie is so weird. It- Okay, so for those of you who don't know what the visitor is, let me try and explain. Can you? How would you sum up the visitor? Okay, so their space Jesus decides to send one of his angels to help fight the space devil who has inhabited the body of a six-year-old girl who is the daughter of Lance Hendrickson. Oh, hey, Lance Hendrickson is in this yes, movie. Yes, so that's pretty much, and she's evil. So now this is another one that I think we could have easily put in the killer kids. Yes. One. However, because of the space Jesus angle, because of Satine, Satine and everything being based in space. Yeah. It's so weird and unique, but it also gives it an element of uh, there is an old ancient uh, religion called Zoroastrianism mm-hmm. that's kind of built on a whole battle of ultimate good and evil and the influence that they put in that you can kind of put into here. But then you can also just say, no, it's just a weird space Jesus bug effery of a movie right so but it is it's it, it is but it's so 
it's well done in its weirdness. Well, and even like Katie as a killer kid. She's a mean little girl and she's fucking hilarious. She is the meanest little girl because she's like somebody's trying to investigate this murder that happened because she got a gun for her birthday party and she shot it off. And she her shot mo- her mom in the spine. Right. Putting her in a freaking wheelchair. wheelchair. So this cop is like trying to question her and she's like, what do you want, you old pervert? I'm going to tell somebody you touched me, you son of a bitch. And I'm like, God damn, little girl. And it's Sam Peckinpah that she's yelling at. Fucking Glenn Ford's over there running around trying to figure out what the hell to do while Shelly Winters comes out as the nanny being all kinds of like... A lot of sass. Yeah, super sass. I know what you are. Shut up, you old bitch. That girl is mean as fuck, too. And then it just gets worse from there when you find then when you realize that she wants to kill her mom. Not really. She's she's kind of an unwittingly kind of a vessel for yeah. Satine. Right. And so when she threw when she throws the mom through the but, through aquarium that is and then drags her up the stairs while riding like that special like fucking that like like uh rolling the rolling up uh the rolling up chair right, right? the yodeler yeah right so she's dragging him up there and then she sends her hawks after people what the fuck she has hawks she has pet hawks that she commands which leads to one of the all-time horrible back-breaking motorcycle accidents Oh my god, that bad that when he gets hit with that, I thought somebody really died. Again, that's some stunt rock shit. What's it about the 70s people fucking taking their own life in their own hands? Fucking it's crazy as shit. And then she throws these skaters through the window and like I almost thought they died too, because like, but that motorcycle wreck. This movie is insane. It, insane. it really is. It's insane. This one, I think, would have been a very also interesting uh, matchup with Phantasm regarding Dream Logic and what the as fuckery. well. You know what? I think when we did our original lineup, that was the, the that what was the, the matchup. Yeah. Oh my goodness. See, no, that's a no. This is one that we had a chance. I think the first time you saw it was up on the big screen. Yeah. Was it not? Yeah. It was. We at hosted the Al- a screening at the Alamo. But I'll tell you what. What really got me, and they 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 play it a lot. A lot. Every time some ill shit happens, da 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 it is rad. That is an epic ass theme. Stridulum, I believe it's called. Stri- yeah, stridulum. And it's just like it pumps. It just instantly pumps me up. I'm like, holy shit! I'm ready to fuck shit up. Let's go, space Jesus. You know. And ever since its introduction into the fabric of the podcast, it's become a mean in and of itself. It's just something that follows us. Yeah, like fucking a John Carpenter. Like I hear and like. Greg, they're playing the visitor, and you're like, no, no they're not, no, they're no, not. They're not. Da-da, da-da, da-da. I'm like, I know it, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> Anything that inspires you to do a karate kick in excitement, <laughs> you know that's pretty epic. Uh, so as much as we love both of Alien and the Visitor, only one can go forward into the round of the Scream 16. And this is a tough one, but genius between Alien and Visitor, which one is closer to your heart? Alien is a true masterpiece, and it's wonderful. But I remember seeing the visitor so vividly for my first time watch that like it's like I've always it's, it feels like I've always seen Alien. You know what I'm saying? Not that it's not that's a bad thing. It's a great thing. But visitor really made my head spin on first watching it. So close to the heart, I gotta go visitor. And that's what's interesting between the ones that are ones that have been in our life forever. Or recent entries, they can make that kind of an impact on mm-hmm. you, which is always kind of cool. Now I've got to say, 
for me, it is going to be alien. Mm-hmm. And the reason is this. When growing up, I had a couple of friends that lived behind my house, and I would go always, always on my way to school. I'd stop by their place. And for the longest time, they'd always have alien on as they were getting ready. And so for the longest time, I would see bits and pieces of alien as growing up. And so for the, I saw it like piecemeal my first time for the most part. And it was a long time before that, that I finally got all the connections, Mm -hmm. but even like having the little piecemeal pieces did not prepare me for what, you know, that first experience was. Right. And that's always stayed with me. So between the two, I'm definitely having to go with alien. Yeah. Now that being said, the bracket topic is terror from beyond. Mm -hmm. So of the two, and you can, you know, interpret this however you'd like. Which of the two is a little bit more terrific from beyond? Satine is from space. He's mm-hmm. space devil, right? Mm-hmm. But he spends a lot of his time on Earth. Same thing with like the space angel. But Xenomorph, that truly is a terror from beyond. If somehow there was a colony of Xenomorph that arrived on Earth, we would be decimated. That is terrifying. The unknown, the scary, you know? So for terror from beyond, it's got to go alien. No, that you make a good point on that. Although I will say, I thought you were for a second you're going to go. You just really can't get a greater evil than Satine versus you know Xenomorph. True, but if that be, you know what that might change if the little girl was in space. That's true. That's true. Oh, we, get away from her, you bitch! Just like. <laughs> Oh, if we could only have that connection. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm going to agree with you on that as well. Uh, there is something of the terrors of space. And like you said, Satan in the body of a killer kid mm-hmm. is terrifying, but not as on the surface of it as the xenomorph. Right. And just that horribly perverse imagery of the xenomorph as they've, you know, evolved. So ultimately, when it comes from terror from beyond, it looks like... Um, in uh, the round of the Scream 16, no one can hear you scream because Alien is moving forward. Don't worry, we will pour one out for the visitor. You know, <laughs> we'll take care of them. But no, I mean, but again, like you said, we could record this tomorrow and get totally different results. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the brilliance of the entire tournament itself. So, in the next round, in the round of the Scream 16 in 1979, we have Toby. Cooper's Salem's Lot mm-hmm. going up against Don Coscarelli's Phantasm. That's uh, a what the fuck in itself. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. And then we have the Amityville Horror going up against Aliens. So that's going to be a tough one. And to help us move forward in the round of the Scream 16 and Hateful Eight, we do have our friends from the Classic Horrors Pod mm-hmm. and the Damn Fine Cast to help us move forward. Is going to be a lot of fun. That yep. is going to be happening this Friday. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Yeah.